Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Well, welcome everybody to the Leaders Alliance podcast, and I'm so glad to be with you. My name is Michael Brodeur, and uh, I am excited about what we have in store for you today. We have a special, uh, in a sense, a marketplace panel almost, because I have my uh, co host coming on. Mike Frank will be working with me to interview an amazing man of God named Garth Jesley. And Garth is actually, he'll share his story with you, but he was a marketplace leader at a significant level for a number of years in Canada. And he wrote a special book called uh, More Than Your Business Card. And uh, this book is really just an incredible you know, display of his story, how God has worked in his life, and then also um, how we can actually walk walk in a similar anointing and impact as we work in outside the church and the different marketplace dynamics. So let me just say, Garth Jesley and I have spoken a few times. We're just getting to know each other, but I am so impressed with what God has done in his life. When I heard his story, I just thought, this is amazing. He was a, a leader in, in sort of finance and banking for many, many years and has written an amazing book. I've, I've had the privilege of scanning this book. It has so much to offer in terms of his story, his testimony, the impact he's had, the things he's learned about leadership, and ultimately about how to be a Christ-centered leader in the marketplace. And so, um, Garth, why don't you share, take a few minutes and talk about your story. Sure, Michael, I'd be happy to do that. And you be sure to cut me off if it goes on. I'm not sure this won't be the elevator pitch, but yeah, go for it. So I grew up in Vancouver on the West Coast of Canada. And um, I was very caught up at a very early age in uh, performance. Uh, I came from a, a very well off family. My father was a very successful corporate lawyer. And very early on in my life, I don't quite know why but I got caught up in being the best student, which I was in my school and then on to university. I was, um, and uh, Jesus was not in my life, as I'll get into in a moment. I didn't come to faith until my encounter with the person of Jesus in my mid-30s. But went to UBC. Uh, the best thing that came out of that, I should add, is that I met my wife, Mary. I was actually in pre-med, um, and there's a story behind that. But I was in pre-med and I finished pre-med and I wrote the medical entrance exams. And then I suddenly faced up to the reality that I actually cannot stomach uh, the sight of blood. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it's actually got worse over the years. So I don't like it when people start telling me their medical stories, and, uh, particularly when they get graphic. Um, <laughs> but in any event, uh, I guess I should have given more thought to that. I consulted with my friends because I wasn't um, a follower of Jesus at the time, and they all said to me, well, at least some of them said, I guess, um, you should take an MBA. To which I said, what's an MBA? And if I recall correctly, they said, we don't know, but it's got something to do with business, and you're really good at math. So based upon that, I decided to do my MBA and was accepted at several schools and decided to do it in the East because the good thing that came out of my pre-med studies was I met my wife, Mary, 
um, in Physiology 201. She was in what's called Rehabilitation Medicine. So after she'd completed that, uh, we got married in Vancouver about 52 years ago now, plus. Wow. And moved east. And um, Mary supported, well, I had a scholarship, but Mary really supported us through uh, those years of uh, treating nickels like manhole covers. Came <laughs> out with my MBA. And uh, my typical of MBAs in those days, I don't know if it's still the case, but in those days, you want to get to the top fast. So my whole identity was caught up in performance. It was really a continuation yeah. of my education. Um, I would set personal goals, and then I would uh, personal and professional goals. I would then uh, hopefully exceed them, and I'd get rewarded uh, by raises and bonuses and uh, promotions. <clears throat> so. <clears throat> In the meantime, my wife, Mary, uh, and we were about two years into our marriage, and she, excuse me, we were four years into our marriage. This was after the MBA. One child, and she came along at one dinner and announced to me that she had become a follower of Jesus. Wow. And uh, I was lost for words. I mean, I, I, I literally was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. The first words out of my mouth, were along the lines of, does this mean you're going to go to a corner in downtown Toronto and hand out Bibles? Which, of course, it didn't. And <laughs> it might it might actually seem sarcastic. It wasn't. It was, I couldn't, I could see the change in Mary. It was very, very obvious that she was experiencing fulfillment, that she was experiencing joy that she had a confidence and so on. So I could see the change in her and I was all for that. Not that she was bad to begin with. It's just that I could see that she was enjoying her newfound faith. Uh, so I wasn't, you know, approaching from the perspective of how dare you, you know, we got to stay aligned in our worldviews. Actually, I probably would not have known the term worldview at the time. But um, I saw no direct relevance to me as a business person I'm scrambling to get to the top so at that time i was recruited through a headhunting firm in the city bank which had just opened in canada and um, so i'm a young lad i'm in my 20s and i made my goal at that time to become a vice president of the bank within three years and so we moved moved the family to montreal into new york back to toronto and lo and behold one day, uh, I achieved my goal and received a communication from Bill Spencer, then the president of Citibank New York, that the board of directors had approved my appointment as a vice president of the bank. Naturally, I was elated. That had been my goal. So all of a sudden, my goal, it's, I'm validated. But all of a sudden, I was hit with the thought, is that it? You know, is that what my life is actually all about? And that was disconcerting. And the next revelation was that when I got to the next level of the bank, the senior vice president level, the exact same thing was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, this is all happening in a, in a course of a, a minute or so. I'm, I'm getting this download. So I, I really, it was like my identity was literally uh, evaporated because my identity was built upon setting goals, exceeding goals, being rewarded, 
and just continued to scramble on and on and on. So I went home. I had a few drinks too many. I was trying to rekindle the joy that I'm supposed to be experiencing as a result of uh, achieving my goal. That wasn't successful. Um, and I really didn't confide in Mary too much. Uh, in fact, I don't think I really confided in her that I was feeling really lost on the yeah. inside. Wow. Um, and, and so I started to look not in a very uh, disciplined way, but I read some new agey stuff and other things, trying to figure out what my life was all about. Uh, then received another promotion to uh, lead Citibank's corporate operations for Eastern Canada from Montreal. Wow. So I moved the family there. And uh, so I'm now in my mid-30s, um, about the time this incident occurred. Um, Mary invited me to attend a local church around the corner, an Anglican church, as it happens. And the young assistant rector, who was about my age, uh, got up and he said something along the following lines. He said, if you're here today and you're here because you live next door or you live in the neighborhood or your family's always attended here or you're trying to signal virtue or you, he, there, he had a number of things. And he said, if you're here for any of those reasons, I suggest you get up and leave. Wow. I'll be doggone. <laughs> a, bunch of, a bunch of people got up and left. And I went, this guy's good. Now, now he had my full attention because, um, you know, I fully respected everything Mary was doing, but I had this general rather ill-informed uh, view that uh, Christians were sort of a holier-than-thou bunch, and I didn't have a very positive view, and there was probably a lot of hypocrisy there, etc., etc., etc. So this young fellow had totally um, got my attention, and the next week Mary had zero problem getting me to come to church. I thought, wow, I don't know what I'm going to see this week, but that was a lot of, I don't know if I thought entertainment, but it was very exciting last week. So. <laughs> Ended up at the church that day, and to this day, Michael, I cannot tell you what really happened in that service. All I can say is that the, the rector, the senior guy, got up to speak, and right in the middle of, I guess it was his sermon, I heard absolutely clear in my head, I'm not saying it was the audible voice, but I heard in my head three words, and the words were, I am alive wow. and i knew the instant i heard those words that it was jesus speaking wow. um, and i knew that being a logical person we mathematicians are nothing if not logical being a logical person i knew that meant he's god and i further inferred that that meant that god was speaking to me and wanted to have a relationship with him wow All very logical yeah. Uh, and in a heartbeat, I literally surrendered my life to him. Never read the Bible. I'd heard a few verses, but I've never read the Bible. Don't never heard a sinner's prayer, nothing like that. Um, actually, that's not true now that I'm thinking about it. Very young, I did go to a Billy Graham crusade, actually, and I think oh, a sinner's wow. prayer was there. So I would have heard that. Yeah. Uh, but I I really I mean, my life was so far removed from the Christian worldview. I mean, it's just something I didn't think about. Um, so I surrendered on the spot. And um, finally, I was lost for words all day. I went, I went silent. And um, then that evening, I uh, 
tapped Mary on the shoulder as she was reading her Bible, if memory serves. <laughs> and I said, I told her what had happened. So she yeah. was ecstatic. And we had a little picnic and she got the kids. At that time, we had uh, three kids. And so we all had a little picnic. Um, and the next week, we were literally talking about, um, like, what do I do with this? Like, I, I could not conceive of going back into the corporate world. I mean, it just, all I knew was I knew Jesus. <clears throat> didn't know the Bible. Uh, didn't know any of the arguments pro and con, but I knew Jesus. So um, based on that, I thought, wow, if you have an encounter like this, I guess you're supposed to go to, you know, unreached people groups in Africa. And we literally, we literally discussed that. But praise God, um, you know, I'm tempted to say sanity prevailed, but I think it was the Holy Spirit prevailed. And uh, we decided to go back to Toronto. And I've been, I don't know if I said this earlier, but I've been recruited out of Citibank to one of the major Canadian banks. So we went back to Toronto and I ended up uh, leading an international project finance group at that bank and then <clears throat> was recruited. Okay, so now I'm a believer. Um, albeit in diapers, and I uh, I uh, led this unit, and then in the mid '80s, um, my former boss at Citibank, who ran Canada, approached me to join him to lead one of the business units, and I agreed, and took an equity interest, and uh, and ultimately became CEO of that business, where I resided for a long time. Wow. Well, let's press pause for a moment. I want to invite my dear friend, Mike Frank, to come on with us. And Mike, can, is can you guys hear me now? With, yeah, we're doing good. And, uh, and you, Mike is one of our advisors me? for Leaders Alliance. He is uh, just a dear friend of mine and my wife's his, and his wife, Robbie. Um, we've walked together. He's been a coach and a counselor for me. He's also begun a friendship with Garth as well. But I want to bring him into this conversation because what you just said, Garth, about, you know, the shift that you had, you thought immediately, oh, I came to Christ, I must be called to Africa. But the Lord actually moved you and, and really convinced you that your calling was more towards the marketplace. And so um, I want to bring Mike in on this, and, and we want you to continue your story. But uh, Mike, you know, I know you probably have a little bit of a, a contribution to make at this moment in his story, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, good morning to everybody. Um, sorry about my technical problems. I don't know. I'm, once I get into a problem, I can't get out of it easily. But hey, um, Garth, the, the other day when we were sharing, um, you you had kind of an interesting take on calling. And um, you had mentioned the Oz Guinness book. And, um, uh, you know, what I want to do is kind of explore that a little bit with you, have you maybe recap that um, briefly. But where we want to get to is how have you integrated your calling into your work? How did you do that? So walk us through that process and, and kind of what your grid is for how you deal with your calling. Sure. Thank you for that question, uh, Mike. That's my passion. You hit the center button of my passion uh, mm -hmm. there with that question. Um, so, 
and, and this is what I focus on at the beginning of my book, more than your business card, is addressing the question, is business a legitimate calling? And if so, is it an important calling? And mm. I, I, I find that many people out there, including vocational people in vocational ministry, as well as even in business, are rather ambivalent on both those points. Um, you know, many, many, um, and I'm now talking about uh, uh, Christian business people, not cultural Christians, but they actually are followers of Jesus. I still find there's there's some ambivalence there. So, and 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 I, the best way I have of describing it is that I think that many of them view their involvement in business as a placeholder mm. until their more spiritual vocation comes along. You know, okay. I, I, and yeah. I think, it, and, and um, one of the questions I ask in the book, and, and I'm really trying to provoke people to give me, give, don't give me the answer you know is probably the answer that would be the right answer. <laughs> Just tell me honestly. Can you, do you say to people, um, I'm called by Jesus to business? And, and a lot would say, well, you know, I'm very gifted in this area. I, uh, I want to honor Jesus with my conduct. Um, God has blessed me, uh, you know, as uh, an owner of this firm or as an executive. And uh, I've been able to give generously, to which I usually say, that's wonderful. <laughs> That's great. I mean, um, God gave us the gifts that we have, so I'm glad that you connected with your gifts. And um, I'm hoping that you are honoring uh, Jesus in the marketplace through your ethical conduct and so on, because we're actually ambassadors. So I don't think we've got any choice there. And finally, uh, I'm glad to hear that you're generous because God owns it all. Uh, but I then say, but all of those things in and of themselves are not a calling. Wow. So my and, and uh, Mike, you referred to this Oz in his book, um, The Call, which is one of his earliest books, although he's written many, many books. He basically says that the three of us and that doctor next door, that that whoever. As followers of Jesus, we all have the same primary calling, the identical call, which is to know God. To know his word and to um, share the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody we meet. We all have the same calling. Um, we all have secondary callings, because God's distributed the gifts differentially. So, you know, some people have gifts in certain areas, some have gifts in other areas, um, and we have different passions because that's the way he's wired us and all of that sort of thing. But as Oz would stress, the secondary, while very, very important, I don't mean to undermine it at all, is actually subordinate to the primary. And so my challenge often to business leaders who kind of say, yeah, God it's got me here and et cetera. I say, so how many people have you led to Jesus in the last year among your CEO peers and so on and so forth? The answer's none, yeah. <laughs> very typically. And because there are so many landmines out there right and we all know about them right they're in culture but they're in the marketplace for sure political correctness i mean there's just a zillion thing a zillion reasons to leave jesus at home you know to to uh, as it were not let our light shine 
at least explicitly. So I think calling is very simply doing that which Jesus has called us to do. Right? And I don't think it says in scripture, um, I'm calling you here, um, you know, on Monday morning at 7.30 in the morning. You can put that aside, get on with your business stuff. And then, you know, on the weekend, <clears throat> come on back and we'll continue the call. I mean, he wants us to influence. You You referred earlier, Michael, to the Seven Mountains, uh, you know, picture but he wants us to influence whatever sphere of activity we're engaged in. And quite frankly, the pastors, those engaged in vocational ministry are not going to be key in, in reaching the marketplace because right. they're not in the marketplace. right? Yeah. And, and, and we need, particularly in this world, which is becoming so swiftly post-Christian Canada, we're really post-Christian. Um, the light has to shine out there. People have wow. to see that there's a difference. And so the quick answer to your question, uh, Mike, is that I think we need to be constantly sharing our faith. And by the way, that doesn't just mean saying, let me lead you to the gospel. And I've got some things that I talk about my own practice in the book, but it's just living very authentically and transparently as followers of Jesus. I always say to people, um, don't don't ever talk about being a Christian for one thing. Christians got so much baggage attached to the word that, that that'll immediately turn people yeah, off. Yeah, that's true. Um, because they think they know what it is and they don't. They don't. They literally don't have a clue, but but they think they do. So I always say I'm a follower of Jesus, and I say that real early on. Anybody I meet, um, you know, when my when my former colleagues at Citibank, he um, he had me over to his place for breakfast one day, and he wanted me to come and join him in this relatively fledgling enterprise. And after he gave me the pitch, I said, well, um, intriguing. I said, before we go any further, I need to tell you something. He said, oh, what's that? So I said, well, since we last met, I've become a follower of Jesus. So yeah. he paused and he goes, oh, great. He says, you can be the conscience of the business. Literally, that's what he said. <laughs> and, uh, and that was that. that, that was that. But it was well known that uh, I was, so I was accountable from day one, including when I screwed up, you know, to ask forgiveness and all of that kind of thing. But we need to be known, you know, as, uh, and I prefer the term followers of Jesus. It's a person, it's a person that we worship. And then the doors just open, people open doors. Hey Ben, I'm wandering around in your question. No, that's so good though. I, I, I just appreciate your answer and I appreciate the focus, Mike, that you brought there. Um, why don't you bring us up to date then in terms of your journey? You know, you you sort of ended up with that sense of being called into that next level of of uh, connection yeah. in the in the financial world, and and what I want to zero in on in a few moments is you know kind of also the faith journey in conjunction with your with your mm -hmm. sort of uh, professional journey. Okay, so give us a, a sense of that sure. and we'll speed forward a bit here. Sure. So uh, just on the professional side, so. <clears throat> I went to this firm, Middlefield Group in Toronto, um, and we're a specialist investment management firm. Notice I still use the we, even though I'm no longer CEO and I'm no longer a shareholder, but they actually, I don't know, uh, it was out of kindness. They actually tried to get me back. I refused, but I'm now as vice chair and special advisor to the senior management team. So, And besides, they manage the money that I, I made as a result of my involvement <laughs> with the firm. So I, 
it does keep me a little closer to what's happening with yeah. my money. But um, so I went on to lead their core business for, for many years. And then we started to have some huge success. It really gained a lot of traction. And uh, along the way, um, you know, I, I, uh, uh, we just launched a lot of different funds. Our channels of distribution were the primarily, though not exclusively, the Canadian chartered banks. And they led all of our offerings. But then we set up a fund in the United Kingdom. I was involved in that from day one and sat on that board for a long time, listed on the London Exchange. And so we, you know, we did business in various parts of the world, but very Canada-centric. And um, and so, I, and it had its ups and downs. I mean, uh, I've never forgotten the day when uh, we had the Great Recession in 08. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, I was... Instead of taking a lot of money out, I was putting a bunch of money back in. Uh, that was exciting, particularly as it was about the time I'd been sending signals that I wanted to exit. So that was delayed until 2012. So in 2012, and I'll come back to the faith side. In 2012, <clears throat> um, I finally extricated myself, sold my interest to my, my colleagues. And uh, then Mary and I went on a kind of a one-year seeking the Lord what's the next chapter uh, sort of thing. And we ended up in various countries. And then uh, the final chapter, actually, I was at the Oxford Center uh, for Christian Apologetics, uh, which is how it was on the, the, in the vicinity of Wycliffe Hall at the University of Oxford. And um, so when I came back from that, a headhunter approached me to become the executive director of Leader Impact. And, um, I ultimately agreed, <laughs> um, and I agreed because I love the mission statement. It's very outward focused to non-believers, which is where my passion is, uh, trying to reach non-believers. So the mission statement is to help marketplace leaders explore the relevance of faith in God in their professional and personal lives. So wow, that's the mission that's awesome. statement. So that that one really turned me on. Um, I remember the, the, the president of the organization. It's actually housed within the Campus Crusade for Christ thing, as you would know, true mm -hmm. in the States. Maybe. But yeah. uh, the, yeah. pre the president gave me this big pitch, but I'd already decided, I think, that uh, just based on the mission statement, I'm in. <laughs> so so I, I led that for, uh, for four years. Um, I actually almost tendered my resignation on the day I joined. Uh, I said, I think I'm here for a chapter, and certain things happened, including some major negotiations with crew in Orlando in which we negotiate or, or whether we would allow them to use the leader impact moniker and the terms and conditions under which we would let them do that. And so now leader impact is around the world by virtue of that. Um, but going back to in business, um, you know, just lots of things happened over the course of my business career. Once I was a believer, um, things that went wrong where where oh, various things like one of the earliest ones this is before i joined my firm uh, i was at this canadian bank and i was leading this pretty high impact unit back domo holland who was from morgan stanley in new york he was the first non-canadian put into a canadian bank and he was the he was the ceo of limo and he set up our unit and we were doing these major international project financings and so I was leading one of two units in that, in that uh, it's called the project finance group. Uh, 
And Mulholland that year, the very year I joined, sent out an edict saying all Christmas parties are canceled because we're on a cost-cutting uh, thing. So fine, Not, nothing to me. But then one of my employees um, came to me and said, Garth, we've been talking amongst ourselves and our thinking is that we'll have the Christmas party, but we'll just bill it to uh, client entertaining. <laughs> so I said, I said, no. <laughs> so that, and, and so my, my boss, who's a really senior guy with the bank, Harvard MBA, really senior executive at, for whom I have a ton of respect. He's a secular Jew. Um, I ended up one week later, a few days later, I ended up not in his office, in his boss's office. <laughs> so his boss said, his boss said uh, Garth, I understand that um, you're uh, resistant to this. I don't know what words he used so many decades ago. You're resistant to this idea. Um, would you mind? He did, he did it the right way, actually. He said, would you mind explaining your concern? I said, sure, Peter, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't just don't do that. That was the end of that. <laughs> he, had, he had enough intelligence to understand you're not going to muck around with that. So that was the end of that. I was very unpopular that year because we did have a Christmas party and everybody paid mm -hmm. himself. Oh, gosh. Okay. And then, um, you know, shortly after that, I'm running this business unit in the firm I ended up leading in total. And um, we had a venture capital fund. So the two guys who'd been instrumental in founding it, they didn't have a lot of money, which is strange given that they were some of the pioneers in venture capital in Canada, but they had brought in a number of institutional investors. And one of them will go unnamed, but it's uh, probably the largest life insurance company in Canada and one of the largest in the world. And um, they're one of our institutional investors. So one day I went off to meet with the chief investment officer because they had an investment in my fund. And um, I came back to the office and this fellow who really had sourced this relationship came into my office and he was, he was fit to be tied. I mean, he, he was, I think the, the veins were popping out on his forehead and, and he was, he, he said, you know, how dare you? I mean, I mean, you go and you visit with them and I introduce the firm and I just, he's going on. I said, I said, Sandy, listen, will you forgive me? Like, you're absolutely right. I should have asked you to come along. I, I, I really, I, I, I'm sorry. I should really have done that. And he was so thrown off. <laughs> he just <laughs> kind of mumbled. Around. Okay. That was, that, was the end. that was the end of that. But so I had lots of, it, not too many issues where I had to ask people to forgive me, although I did have some more of those. But, but uh, hey, yeah. Garrett. Kirk, let me interrupt right there. So you've shared a, a couple of different stories where your faith was tested a little bit and right. your integrity and all of that. And I, I too have a lot of stories where, you know, I think there were temptations from the enemy that we're yeah. seeing just what our resolve were. But um, uh, as you think about the young people that might be listening in on this or that will view this, um, what advice would you give them regarding, um, you know, not compromising or being for, you know, straightforward with your faith and, and, um, 
you know, what are, and how do they deal with the, the fact that it may cost them something when they do that? I mean, yeah, that, that I mean, that's a great you, question. Yeah, that, that is, that is a, a really, really good question. And, um, and, you know, I can relate. I mean, if business was risky when I came out after my MBA, it's a lot riskier relationally today than it was then. I mean, for heaven's sake, I mean, things that we would have just, you wouldn't have thought hard about saying. Now, you know, you're, you're, there's constantly this chatter going on. There's mm -hmm. certain things that free speech doesn't operate anymore and so on and so forth. Um, uh, that being said, I'm the most politically incorrect person I know. So, I, uh, if they want to put me in jail for talking about Jesus, then well, I'm all in. Let's, let's go. I'll go to jail on that one. But um, talking to young people, I would say, first of all, um, be sure to earn the respect of the people with whom you work. Mm. So um, particularly if you're going into a new environment, I'd go in. Operate with excellence. Let's just start with that. I've, I've always been a huge proponent that That's you right. are really, really, really excellent. Like if it, that, that nobody will ever say, well, you know, that Garth, he's brought up this silly stuff and the guy's an idiot. You know, they know that you do a really good job, that you pay. I was on the phone with somebody, somebody today um, who's a service provider to me. <laughs> and I had a little chat. She's very good, but I said, listen, we have to have a straight talk here, you and I, because this is unacceptable. I'm sending emails to you and they go into a black hole. That's totally unprofessional. The organization you represent is not being well served by you're not getting back to me. I don't mind if you get back to me and say, I can't, I, I, I can't get, would it be okay if we got to this, set a date that you think you can fulfill and if you can't, before it comes to that date, I mean, be very conscious of your commitment. So I'd say that's first and foremost. And, you know, I had those values before I became a believer. You know, my I think my father instilled, I don't know where it came from precisely, but it's largely probably parental and so on and so forth. But I really had that value. So I, and, and part of it was that I was going to, I was going to prove to everybody that I was God's gift to their firm, right? So I was going to do a really, really good job. But, I mean, Jesus calls us to excellence, right? I mean, there's scriptures on mm -hmm. this, right? Don't yeah. do a shoddy job. Don't, you know, work as unto the Lord. So first and foremost, you have to be known as an excellent worker. And remember, it's your employer to, ho to whom you owe that due. So... So if you're in some sort of environment where people are concerned that some people work too hard or they're too diligent or they're too enthusiastic, forget that. They don't pay you. <laughs> you know, work, work for the person to whom you report and, and be known for excellence. And so when you get that reputation out there, I think that opens the door. And we can talk about the specific techniques I use. But again, I, I want to go back to maybe, maybe one of the most fundamental things for me. And I deal with it in the third part of my book where I talk about what do we need to know, right, to follow Jesus in the marketplace? What do we need to know? And I, I talk to a few issues, some of them apologetics. 
But the first and foremost is we have to know Jesus. We really have to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. I mean, we have to, he has to be coming out our pores, right? I mean, if, we, if we're not in an intimate relationship with him, I, I love what Andrew Womack says, and Mike, you and I talked about Andrew, and I'm a big fan of his ministry. And, and I cited this in the book that he says, um, Jesus, is, God is not calling us to live for him in the marketplace. He's calling us to let him live through us. Well, that's good. That's He's calling really us through us. And I think only when we're centered in that, um, you know, that, that uh, we can talk about this a little bit more if you want, but it's kind of that operating system, that, that knowledge of our identity, that close relationship with him, that I think will cause him to come. I mean, the Holy Spirit will be guiding us, but when we're in that intimate relationship, uh, I think that's where... You're more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know when to share, what to share, and so on. That's so good. Yeah. I, you know, go, go ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to say I want to reemphasize. Use the word identity real briefly there, but that's where it all starts for me um, as a marketplace yeah. ministry guy. Is is my identity clear? Do I do right. I understand yeah. how loved and what God's done for me and how He yeah. wants to use me? And once you get, you know, tuned into the identity piece, um, then it's usually him working, like you just said, him loving through you, him working through you, him giving wise counsel through you. And it just makes most of the road smooth as you move forward. So anyway, that's all I, I, I want. We're, we're, in, we're in agreement. And I think it's a really profoundly important point. And uh, I think it's chapter five in my book. That's the chapter from which the book derives mm. its title, More Than Your Business Card. And it's really talking mm. about identity. But as Christians, we don't achieve our identity. We receive our identity. And I use mm. um, as the scripture th to unpack that one, I use 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praise of him called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So I unpacked that into five points. And I talked about them quite specifically, how if we're not anchored in that, um, we we get into trouble really fast if we're not just solid. So the, the five are, I'm completely accepted. I'm extremely valuable. I'm eternally loved. I'm totally forgiven. And I'm fully capable. And, and, and that's without going to uh, seminary. Um, uh, and so, <laughs> you know, on this, on this point of I'm completely accepted, I mean, how well have we internalized that? Like, I'm completely accepted because the currency of the marketplace is acceptance, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, we want to gain acceptance with customers. We want to gain acceptance with employees. We want to gain acceptance with our boards of directors, with our service providers. It's all about acceptance, but we need to be totally anchored in the fact that I'm totally accepted, irrespective of what my performance is, irrespective of that. And and that can get off track because of the, you know, the example I cite is Enron, right? I mean, Enron was a darling of the marketplace, right? Earnings per share were going up like clockwork. Everything was working fine. And then all of a sudden uh, it collapses overnight. 
uh, because they've been cooking the books and all of that kind of stuff. And that was for acceptance, right? Acceptance of shareholders, acceptance of, you know, yeah. good, good reviews by uh, investment firms and so all that kind of stuff. And so it's easy to start bending off or, you know, I'm eternally loved. And then all of a sudden, uh, maybe you get a, a, a not so good performance review. Well, okay, listen, maybe it's deserved, maybe not, but whatever, it doesn't change one iota of the fact that you are eternally loved, right? And so we need to be anchored in those things, uh, that my value is, regardless of the bonus I get, it's, it's immeasurable, right? That's so good. You know, we have about 10 minutes left in this time. I want to do a little bit of a bullet round here of a few things that if you could tell us, number one is, what's the one thing that you wish a pastor knew about the marketplace and the marketplace <laughs> leaders in their church? Give us sure. give us a quick on that one. Sure. Uh, the quick would be that marketplace leaders are at the same spiritual level as the pastor, and they have a different um, target market, as it were. And so they need to be treated that way. In other words, that pastors need to recognize it's not just giving them a message that, okay, that builds them up, but needs to, to give them encouragement, scriptural guidance, and so on and so forth, that they're to go out there and they're to reach that marketplace, right? It, 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 so it's not just behaving ethically, of course it is, and all of those kind of things, but it's that they're the ones who are going to reach the marketplace, not the pastor. So they need to be treated almost like, as it were like pastors to the marketplace, evangelists, whatever it is on a similar plane. That's so good. Mike, do you have a bullet question that? Um, no, you know, I think that, um, you know, um, just comment a little bit on a, a vision you might have about where, where you see things going um, mm. in terms of this coming together of the, the church leadership and the marketplace leadership. Do you have a sense of where that's going or is the timing right for this, an explosion to happen or revival to come out of this? Uh, I mean, people often ask me, you know, what's wrong with the world? And, and I often answer uh, the church. What's wrong with the world? <laughs> that's, my, that's my quick answer. We're not doing what needs to be done. I mean, I, I mean, I realize that you can have a sovereign move of God and a move of the Holy Spirit like you experienced in Toronto. Incredible. You know, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That can happen, has happened, will happen undoubtedly in the future. But I think most people out there in the world are in the marketplace. You know, I realize you're looking at the seven mountains and all these different things, but I tell you, most people are employed by for-profit enterprises. Virtually everybody in your congregation, yeah. full stop. And so they need to be empowered. They're the ones who are gonna reach the world. And so I think it is um, helping them to discover a passion in themselves that they're called to the marketplace, that they're called to make a difference, to get out there and show that there is a difference, right? We're, we're not uh, the withdrawn church. Uh, and we're not the assimilated one where they can't even distinguish us. We've just got to get out there and do our job. But I think where the pastors play a really big role is in encouraging that mindset. And um, it's so but, awesome. uh, Yeah, but going back to that, I don't have a sense, like a prophetic sense, if you will, Mike, which I did on when it, it's going to happen. But I think it's going oh, to take oh. all of us out there. Yeah. 
that's that's where I kind of net out too. Is that we've tried it the other way, where the marketplace guys are just pushed to the side a little bit, and right. we've been losing traction. So my hope is that there's an openness to, you know, come together and say let's let's do this locked arm in arm. We each have different things we're bringing to the table, but um, you know, and don't you know, the other thing for me was. Um, as a pastor, don't always say the only way we're going to get along is if you serve my vision. Oh, um, that's true. God may give you, and he has given you a vision, this leader's impact thing you were doing. That's a that's a, a vision outside of the local church, and it ought to be celebrated. But oftentimes it's like, well, since it's not under my umbrella, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I don't put, I don't encourage you. I don't put any energy. I don't try to equip you any further. And, and I'm not saying that in a negative sense. It's just that, that there's been such a traditional hierarchical kind of a progression that oftentimes if we're not, if we're not serving the local church leader's vision, then we're just kind of like rogue <laughs> we're right. out there right. yeah. and no that's and true and, and, really in community. yeah and at the same time mike i would say that and i agree with michael on this uh, you and i have chatted about this um i don't think we should all be out there as as it were as lone rangers or falling our i mean i think we work together uh pastors and those in the so-called five-fold ministry have a very real role it's biblical um we're to work together but it's, it's so it to me, actually, the ultimate vision of the church is real simple, right? Go out and make disciples of all nations, right? So we actually have the same vision. <laughs> so yeah. it's just, you know, who has got what assignment within the vision? Well, but but there's one other thing I'll add to that, which is that, you know, again, one of my passions is to move the church from being primarily a pastoral care organization to being primarily yeah. a training and sending organization with pastoral care as a secondary priority. And the more pastoral care oriented the church has become, um, unfortunately, the more of a consumer product we've become. And the more of a consumer product, the more we generate spectators rather than ambassadors. And I really believe that the reformation in the local church needs to take place simultaneously to the realization in the marketplace that we are also in a sense, co-equal heirs of salvation, co-equal ministers of Christ. And so really that's part of our goal is to bring those two back into really having one vision, which you talked about, making disciples, but the church is falling short and the marketplace falls short in its own distinct way. How do we join forces to see that vision become the one vision that energizes both sides? One final thing uh, as we close this time, Garth, is give us what is the primary impact you wanted your book to have, let's say, on a young leader who picks it up, who says, you know what, I know I'm not called to the church. I know I'm called to, to impact the world out there somehow. What is the one thing you hope they take away from your book? The one thing I, I hope they take away from the book is that uh, not only is business a legitimate calling, but it's a very important calling, and I unpack that. There's there's several dimensions of importance that I unpack. It's a really important calling, because so many I think young people or people come out and they kind of look at it as a bit secondary, not that important. They don't appreciate that private sector funds 
everything. On yes. Earth. <laughs> yes. Don't understand yeah. that. Everything. In Canada, people are economically illiterate, but it funds everything. Oh, no, what about the police service? No, it funds that too. Oh, yeah. what about the charity? Yeah. No, it funds that too. Well, no, people pay taxes. No, we fund them too. <laughs> Private business funds everything. Private business is the ultimate engine of creativity uh, in the world today, and it's got its dark side, but it's got its light side. It's leading to human flourishing, and finally, we're an incredible engine of influence. And that, So I want them to this is a really important place to be um, if God calls you there. And if, you know, if he's not, better find out where he's calling you because you want to be where he's called you. Awesome. Boy, that's good. Well, Mike, yeah. final words on your part. And then I'd like you to pray for us, Garth, and, and release a, a sense of your impartation to us. But Mike, any final words as you wrap up? No, I just, I just think um, to any of the listeners, um, there's real wisdom in what this guy is saying. And, you know, he's, um, he's uh, you know, uh, lived through so much. He's got perspective on so much that, one, I'd encourage you to read the book, but two is to just let the words that he's talking about sink in because um, this is real important, to, especially to the young readers and listeners out there. Amen. Amen. So good. Well, you know, thank you so much, Garth, for being on this podcast. I hope to have you sure. on again to go a little deeper on some of the specific areas in the future. Sure. But could you pray just a blessing on everybody listening to this live and everybody in the future that will listen and just that we can catch the heart of God that you're carrying right. for transformation in this world. So, Father, we just give you praise and thanks for the incredible privilege of sharing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with our peers and around the world. And Father, I just pray for a special uh, anointing on Michael Brodeur and the uh, Leaders Alliance team um, as they uh, not only speak forth a vision, but as uh, they gather resources, people in the various spheres of influence to join in this incredible vision to unite the church in one overall vision to make disciples of all nations. So I just thank you for that continued and building anointing on this ministry and all of those who are involved in Jesus' awesome name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Garth. And uh, thank you so much, Mike Frank, as well. Um, just let me announce that for the next two weeks, we will be off. We will not be having podcasts uh, prior to Christmas and then prior to New Year. We'll be back together on the 5th of January with John, with, uh, John and Carol Arnott. And it's just gonna be a great broadcast. They're gonna be talking about the, what they see for the coming year prophetically. And they're gonna talk also about leading from love and love as a primary component of leadership. So anyway, God bless you all. We'll be closing our time now. Take care, have a great Christmas.